good day to you and welcome. We are broadcasting live. We are here. We are at Steady, second and national in Walker's Point, and we're having a good time today. And it is opening day for the Milwaukee Brewers, who, by the way, where everybody said that they uh, couldn't score a run, they beat the hell out of the Cubs in uh, the final two games of the series, taking two out of three. And for all the fly the W's that were out there on uh, Thursday, it was fly the L's on Saturday and Sunday, and a terrific time at Stenny's as always. Uh, this is now a tradition for us to come down here on opening day, and uh, we're glad to have you along for the ride. Uh, we are brought to you by our good friends down here at, uh, at uh, New Mail Medical, so uh, I want to say thanks to them for being a part of the program as well. New Mail Medical, our friends at Quick Trip, and our friends at Pella Windows and Doors in Wisconsin. Joining me up here, it's kind of like a reunion. I love this. Uh, our my buddy Chuck Freeman is here. How you been, pal? I am not going to miss opening day with you, Bill. This is a tradition that we're starting here the last several years. Kevin so Holden I, will be down here a little bit later on. Holden is another great friend. Um, but, yeah, I mean, here it's I mean, steady. It's on opening day. Are you kidding me? This is awesome. <laughs> uh, by the way, if people want to come down, uh, the doors just opened. And uh, they do run shuttles. All three shuttles are going to be running to the game constant. So when you, if, I said even if you have a ticket and you want to go, use the shuttle. Come down, get some food, get the best Bloody Marys you're ever going to have, wings, garlic, cheese, bread, whatever, and then head over. If you don't have a ticket, you can still take the shuttle over, walk around, tailgate, and then come back here and watch the game or just come here and watch the game and come and hang out with us. So uh, two out of three over the weekend, man. Not a, not a bad way to go. Oh, it was. Uh, I thought it was great. I mean, anytime you take two or three to start the season, you didn't want to come back 0-3. But I'm watching Saturday's game, Bill. Like um, I'm, I'm watching Saturday's game as if it was a best of seven series because they lost on Thursday. And I'm like, man, I don't want to, I don't want to go into Sunday's game being down 0-2 with a possibility of being right. 0-3. And they came back and they won that game and then got the bats going. They had 13 hits yesterday and uh, yeah, took two at three. And uh, some of the young guys, you know, we saw what they could do. They certainly belong. Some of the veterans that have been added to this team, like Jesse Winker, we saw what he could do, and uh, yeah, it was a great weekend in Chicago. The uh, the, the team itself, they, I mean, uh, it was funny because they noted, oh, by the way, 16 scoreless innings to start the season, a team record. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting there on my couch watching the game. I'm like, oh, crap. This is going to be a long year if it continues like this. And then the floodgates open. They put up nine yesterday. They put up four in that game. Uh, and Woodruff threw, I thought, extremely solid. Uh, you know, yesterday they tried to give it away a little bit bullpen-wise, but Williams came in and got the job done. So I, I thought all in all it wasn't a bad weekend. It just took them a while to get going. Yeah, I, I just think, you know, we've from the Brewers of watching them over the years, they're going to go through some freezes offensively. You just don't – you hope it's not for an extended period of time. And then – They'll just bust right – you know, it's just baseball, I guess, and they'll just bust right out of it. But the Brewers are, uh, are are sitting fine. They're playing a New York Mets team that's coming off taking three or four from the Marlins, and they're going to be contenders in the, the National League East uh, once again this year. But, yeah, I mean, I, I, I it's going to be a fun year. Uh, what's going to be fun about it is I think that, you know, watching a player like Bryce Terang this weekend, you know, it's our first real right. good glimpse of him and got on base four times yesterday – he can run. He can feel this position. You know, it's just a matter of if we can hit and get on base a little bit. And, and you know, he did a little of that this weekend. But I think ultimately, you know, if things work out with him, you're talking about a future leadoff hitter on the team. Um, I, I want to I, I do this because you and I have been – and I got here in the market in 99 – I, I was talking on the way down here today. I did a live in the car coming down, and I'd said, I remember the very first opening day out in front of County Stadium mm-hmm. uh, in the old uh, satellite trucks that we used to use, you know, cold as hell, flurries in the air. It seemed like when we had County Stadium, it was always cold and flurry. Sure. 
Uh, but what what are some of the more memorable opening days that you have had? Because, I mean, I know that we've got a lot of optimism for the team and we can talk X's and O's all day long. But today's kind of that day where you go, ah, I remember when. Today's that day when your dad or your mom took you out of school to come down mm-hmm. and party and celebrate or when all the bars used to get together and they had the, the semi-trucks in the parking lot. Oh, yeah. Well, I've been to every opening day since 1975. <laughs> wow. Okay. Ni- that's 1975. When I was uh, eight years old, missed 2020, though. I don't count that. That was the COVID year. Right, right. And none of us. Well, know, this the, is the first one since. So yeah. you had you had COVID, uh, and then you had the 25% that they were allowed to have mm-hmm. the following year uh, because the first year of COVID, you, nobody was in. Mm-hmm. Then they had the, uh, the, the 25%. And last year was weird because it was a labor dispute. And we weren't sure, and then they started pushing games back, remember, mm-hmm. because they couldn't get things together, and it was really a funky, weird opening day. This is the first real officially opening day in like three and a half, four years. It is. It is. And and it's great. You know, uh, if you think about it, I, yeah, I guess you're right about that. Um, well, uh, yeah, so, so 1975, you know, I mean, when it's my date, my, my, as you mentioned there, I went to our father's Lutheran on Milwaukee's south side in Greenfield, and my dad would, my mom would write a note in the morning. Um, and her nice penmanship because my dad had horrible penmanship. My mom would write, <laughs> my, my, my mom would write a note. Uh, Chuck has got a doctor's appointment or uh, today, and then she'd rotate it. The next year would be a dentist appointment, and um, yeah, we can you let him out of school at eleven o'clock today? And uh, yeah, sure enough, eleven o'clock came. I'd have to get up out of class, go to the secretary's desk at the at the office at the principal's office. And the way I would go, and my dad would be driving through our neighborhood. He'd always tell me to duck down because, you know, back then truancy was a thing you'd get arrested for. <laughs> so my dad was worried he was going to get you know, in trouble for truancy. And we'd go to opening day, sit in the bleachers. Uh, right. And, and, yeah, I mean, there's been I, one of the opening days, I remember, 1977, it was spring break anyway. But, yeah, sitting at the old county stadium, there was a 77. I remember it was like a 75-degree day. But most of the days are cold. Favorite all-time opening day was 1980. I was 13 years old. Sixto Liscano. I'm sure you heard about this one, Bill. Yeah. Uh, Sixto hit an opposite field. The great Sixto Liscano hit an opposite field. Grand slam. Opening day. Right field. And the Brewers beat the uh, Boston Red Sox. I think Dick Drago was the pitcher for the Red Sox. Beat him like 10 to 9. And it was amazing. Uh, yeah. the, the, the video's still on YouTube. It was a, it was an awesome, awesome day. You know, Euchre had to call and all that. And um, that's what I remember most. Yeah. You know, I, I was sitting here. Uh, um, we were having this conversation last night because I said, you know, do you still get all the players to come out and everything? I said, you know, it's no, it's not the same. It used to be when we sat up, set up outside of uh, County Stadium, you had that little walkway right mm-hmm. there alongside the third base entrance. And that was kind of the media entrance. And that's where they would bring them. And, you, you know, I remember Mark Loretta coming out, you know, mm-hmm. back in the day. You know, Mark Loretta, Jeremy Burnitz every now and then. You'd get a guy like that. Fernando Vina came out uh you know back then phil garner mm-hmm. came out you know it's it's changed it has it, it's changed so much i mean council's pretty good because he knows a lot of us because he kind of grew up here you know and we've kind of sat here for 25 plus years and watched him and got to know him but uh but it's it's completely different it's it's a just a opening day as much as you're excited now as a fan you're just excited to see baseball but for what we do, mm-hmm. you know, it used to be, you know, this is the day and you have bang, 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 bang. You'd have like 10 people lined up, players lined up. To, you know, you'd have Tony Migliaccio coming out and you know, telling you all the funny stories. and You don't get that anymore. No, and, and people always ask me, and I, I'm sure you get that, Bill, too. Oh, do you, you guys hang out with the players? No, right. We, Not anymore. <laughs> never. You know, we Not don't anymore. Play. No, there's a big difference between them, you know, and the media and, and – 
and, and the players. But I know after games, um, here's what I've noticed the biggest difference. Back then, after games, players used to sit in the clubhouse, drink beer, eat right. food, they eat pizza that was delivered, and the post-game spread, they'd play cards, and they remember Gorman and Rowling, they'd be playing cards. All, their families would be waiting outside the parking lot, and these guys would be hanging out and playing in their underwear yeah. playing cards. So, yeah, that was – but today – and today's guy, today's guy will just – they're run gone. out. Yeah, they will. They are heading out the door. They are, you know, they get dressed and all that. But they're not hanging around. A couple of guys do, but they're not hanging around playing cards. They're, right. they're going out, meeting their families, and getting out of there. The uh, I remember the first opening day here. Like I said, snowy, cold. Uh, I think it was Wendy Seelig pre. We had out. Bud came over. Bud Seelig was there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Phil Garner was there. Then you get Gorman. Gorman was making the rounds uh, back then and doing a lot of stuff. Uh, Mark Loretta had come out, you know, we, we, you, but you got players. It was just one after the other, but it was, you know, because I grew up in, in Cincinnati and it, that was where the Finley market parade took place. They were the first major league team. So they let everybody in the world know we were the first major league baseball team, but here it's, it was different. It was, you know, had semis pulling into the parking lots and bars would just, just unload people, you know, and it was just, it was kind of like new year's Eve for baseball. Well, I saw that in uh, this weekend, the same th- or last week, the same thing in Cincinnati. I didn't realize they had a big parade. They still have that parade in Cincinnati. Yep, they still do. Yeah. Uh, why don't you know the like you said the Reds had that traditional opener? Why don't they do that anymore? Is it because well they, they still well changed? baseball uh, t- took it from them years ago. Yep. Uh, it was always them and Detroit. Yep. And uh, both of those teams because Cincinnati would always start at like noon or. 1230 and then Detroit would start like five minutes later mm-hmm. and then the rest of Major League Baseball remember then they started the the Sunday night or the Thursday night games yep. and so there was the first game the first official game that type of thing and so there was a lot of a lot of stuff for baseball that they wanted to expound upon to make money off of and it, I'll tell you this I mean it pissed off a lot of Reds fans I mean it really did and then just you know for that tradition but then the Red Sox were part of that uh, early on because Boston was one of it. Mm-hmm. The Yankees were one of it. But that's when they started saying, okay, let's capitalize on the East Coast and the West Coast and start putting, like, the the, the Sunday night game being Dodgers-Yankees or, you yeah, know. Yeah, because everybody in America wants to see Dodgers and the Yankees. Right, yeah. or, or Boston and New York. Yep. or what, and new, You know, then New York and New York yep. and when they yep. started interleague. So yeah. it started all that. It got rid of a lot of tradition of baseball. Now you just kind of have whatever it is your hometown team does. Well, baseball is so regionalized, Bill. It's, 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 I mean, like, like last night, the Sunday night game, Philadelphia and Texas. Who watched it? Now, if it was an NFL game, right. we'd all be watching it. Yeah. Okay? But, you know, when they tried to do the first game on a Sunday night or, or a Thursday night, it's like, huh, it's, a, it's such a regional sport. Nobody right, cares. Right. You know, yep. no, nobody's watching. Unless you're betting on the game, you nobody cares. Right, right, uh, yeah. No, I agree with that. Um, so, anyway, that, that was, like, my first opening day. I had another one, and and let, let's see how much time we got. Okay, I'll tell the story. Um, and and everybody knows Bob Euchre. I mean, the voice yeah. of the, the, the Brewers for so long. Bob is a very much a traditionalist, and he loves people that sing the national anthem really well. And, you know, you sing it the way it's supposed to be sung, you know, mm-hmm. and applauds it and everything. I'll, I'll never forget, there was a guy, it was one of the opening days, and the guy comes in, was, we're still at County Stadium, and this guy's family was there dressed to the nines, like they were just coming from like a, a revival or something. And this mm-hmm. guy starts out with this, uh, oh, 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 say, and I'm thinking, oh, my God, here we go. And yeah. it was like a four-and-a-half-minute rendition. 
and he gets to the end, the home of the Brave, and <laughs> Yuke yells out, welcome back here in the fifth inning, and <laughs> his family heard it. And they turned around and looked, and Bob leans back, and the only person, remember the loge? Yeah. I'm standing there. I was like one of the only people standing there at the time because everybody was still up in the in the little catwalk area waiting to come down. I was the only guy there, cold as hell. And I'm standing there, and Bob yells it, and he, they turn around, they look at me, yeah. and I'm like, oh, you crap, you know. So I'm like, I wave. You know? I'm like, what are you going to do? So about two innings later, popcorn starts coming down on my head. And I, I turned around, and it's Euchre, and he's like, I, I effed you on that one, didn't I, there, buddy? You know how he calls everybody buddy. Yeah. I, I effed you on that one, there, buddy. You know, but that was one of one of my better opening day memories, too. Well, well you, he, 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 I don't know if he still does that because, you know, the old county stadium, as you mentioned, the Loge, there was a radio – the radio media always sat in front of the uh, the broadcasters. So you would um, – like, he'd do this during a regular season, too. He'd take off his headset if a game was dragging on. He'd take off his headset and go – uh, get this! Oh yeah, yeah. 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 He, he he let go. Yeah, he he put his cough mic on. Yeah, so he nobody would hear him over oh, there. Oh, I've always said the yeah. day that the, the day that the cough switch breaks, <laughs> there's a bunch of thousand broadcasters that are never going to have jobs again. Oh yeah, just, just because. Yeah. Let's do this. We're going to step out. We're going to take a quick break. It is opening day. We are broadcasting live. We are here at Steny Second and National Walkers Point. Come on down and say hi. Catch the shuttle over to the game. Stay here if you want to and uh, watch the game. They got the best bloody, award-winning Bloody Marys, as a matter of fact. The best wings you're ever going to have. Uh, the garlic cheese bread is fantastic. Uh, also, don't forget, we are brought to you. Another team playing really well right now. Brought to you by the Milwaukee Admirals. Go to MilwaukeeAdmirals.com as they effort towards the Calder Cup. Go to MilwaukeeAdmirals.com. We got more coming up right after this. Covering Wisconsin sports like a blanket, this is The Bill Michael Show on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Welcome back to the program, The Bill Michael Show. We are live. We are here at Steny, second and national, Walker's Point. And as you can see, it's cleared out quite a bit. Uh, they just had the, uh, the last call for another shuttle that's uh, getting ready to get out of here. We uh, were packed. Wall to wall a little bit earlier, but now many of the fans have made their way to American Family Field. So room has opened up. If you are out in the bound, maybe you made it a short day at work and you're listening to the sound of my voice and you say, you know what? Going to head to a place maybe with a bunch of fans to watch the game. This is the place to come. What I've always said is Milwaukee's best sports bar, hands down, and the kind of the cheers of Milwaukee. And uh, they have terrific food down here, uh, without a doubt, which we always enjoy. Kevin Holden, CBS 58, alongside I'm Bill Michaels, and uh, we were sitting here talking about the rules changes. We were talking about the pitch clock. But now not only do you have the pitch clock, but you have you only allowed so many visits to the mound. You can, you can only throw over to first base twice now. You can't do it continuously like we've seen in the past. Uh, stolen bases are up, uh, and it's not – you know, we talk about, uh, you know, the bases being bigger, and it's cut off three inches from first to second and second to third, but it's four inches or whatever it is from, you know, home to first and home to – home to third it's not necessarily because of that it's just becoming more predictable of when you can and can't run there yeah i go. think there he is there you go i think uh, i think the biggest thing is it, yeah it's predictable because you can't throw over a bunch of times so when that first throw over happens a runner immediately starts to get more aggressive and after the second throw so what happens then is after two throws over if you throw a third time, you have to pick him off or it's a balk. And so after two, now the runner knows that pitcher's yeah. coming home. I also think – I think it's going to come back to earth a little bit because I think pitchers are having to learn a lot because right. their whole routine is changing. Everything they do is changing with the pitch clock and everything else, right? So I think 
I do think it'll come back under control a little, but it is kind of surprising. Like it was, what was it? It was a jump of, of two and a half times in stolen bases in opening weekend what it was the, week, the year before. Right. And I mean, we're what talking. What did you say last year was 22 and this year's 70? Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. That's crazy. I mean, yeah. that's that's a significant change in the game. Right. right? It's, a, it's a change in, it, like if that holds, Catchers with strong throwing arms are, are about to be back in vogue, baby. They're, yeah, they're valuable again. Benito Santiago is right? coming out of retirement, yeah. you know. Uh, it's But that's, you know, it, the game is going to change a, a bit with that. But, yeah, these rules changes are, if folks, if you have not seen a ton of this in the Cub series, if you're watching for the first time today, pay attention to a couple of things. Pitch clock is one, but, but stolen bases and base runners is another because mm -hmm. it's, yeah, it's different. It, uh, now, now here's the next question, because whenever there's a rule change or a tinkering, uh, such as no shift, uh, people start to scream, well, what is this going to do to the statistics? And as players that come into the game today, how they're going to measure it with players from the games of, of yesterday. Uh, you would first thing you mentioned was if I'm Ricky Henderson, I'm saying, holy crap, I might have had 200 stolen bases in a season. <laughs> you know, I mean, if 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 the, the rule books change that significantly, or, and and the statistical books change that significantly. I mean, what do you do if you're baseball? How do you you just keep forging forward? I know because the game is the game, but you know, man, if you played back in the days of we were talking about bigger ballpark ballparks yeah. too, and the ballparks have shrunk. Yeah. You look at a guy like Babe Ruth back then, hitting in these cavernous places, as opposed to today, you know, which were completely different. Uh, you know, it just it, I think we just I don't necessarily think an asterisk comes by any of this, but there's a notification to say, hey, don't forget, you know, guys like you and I can remember when, you know, F Fulton County Stadium, Riverfront Stadium, Three Rivers Stadium, Yankee Stadium, yeah. they were all 330, 340 down the line and 365 almost uh, in the alley, in the alleys and 420 out in center field. I mean, the, the, the walls have come in by 20, 30 feet. 100%. Remember old Tiger Stadium? Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's the thing is, is – the, the game has changed in a lot of different ways, even before the, this, this pitch clock thing began. I mean, it's it is, it's been an evolution of the game. And there's some things about the game that I really like. I think talent in the game right now is fantastic. And I think one of the reasons why is, uh, you know, analytics are a term that that is kind of used to mean something negative. You know, oh, analytics, it's it's mysterious or right. whatever. But the other part of what analytics has done, away from those, you know, the stats that you have to decode, you know what I mean, mm -hmm. with, a, with a slide rule or whatever. Right. You take those out. The other thing that analytics has done is it has taught coaches how to teach players to be better. Like the number of 99-mile-an-hour mm -hmm. fastballs now and hard sliders right. and, and sinkers that, that dip and the fact that bunting has gone away doesn't mean it's a lost art for people trying to bunt. It means the pitches are that much harder to bunt against. So the talent's gone way up. I had a great discussion. Todd Rosiak, who you know, the Journal Sentinel. Yeah. Todd and I were talking last year, and I was talking to him about the analytics and the inability to, you know, the shift was so obvious. It's like just hit behind the runner or just hit behind out of the shift or drop a bunt down. And one of the things that was explained, and he kind of put it into a little, I, I still don't wholly agree with it, but I understand it now. And he said, look, it used to be you get through the starter and you got to the bullpen. And you'd go from a guy that threw 92, 93 to a guy that threw 86, 87, didn't have as good at breaking stuff or change up. And, and you had that extra millisecond or two of time to react, to figure out, okay, here comes the break. You can see the spin. Here comes the sinker, whatever. And now everybody throws 95. 
and that millisecond or two of, of adjustment in mental adjustment are gone. You you already know what you're going to do if it's near you, and with like you said with the with the spin rates, with the speed of pitch, with all the junk that's on it because of these pitching labs, mm -hmm. which the Brewers were one of the first to have, it, it's it's not there anymore. You don't have that adjustment time, so that's the reason the rule had to become we got to get out of the shift because it's pitchers are throwing so hard so fast guys can't even adjust if they wanted to they just got to do the gripping and ripping and that's it yeah and that so that becomes what it is right that you know singles were taken away by the shift mm -hmm. a lot of stuff was taken away by by everybody hopping that threshold and there's a study somewhere i wish i could pull it up but there was a study somewhere done 20 or 30 years ago that talked about i think 94 miles an hour was this threshold of like human reaction uh -huh. where where over 94 you're, you're, there's a little bit of guesswork involved, even even for elite athletes with elite reaction times. Yeah. 94 was like this threshold. And like you say, everybody is throwing that now, yeah. throwing 95 plus. It used to be bullpens, what bullpens used to be was a collection of guys who couldn't start for you for different reasons. Too old, only one good pitch, uh, you know, better against one side but bad against right. the other. And it was the manager's job to fix that to situations. It's not really how it works anymore. Those are those arms in the bullpen are basically trained to throw as hard as they can or with as much spin as they can for 10 or 15 or 18 pitches, and then right. they're done. It's not about a lack of skill. It's just about, you know, you only throw 97 as opposed to your closer throws 101. Right. Yeah, it's uh, it, it, that. It, if I remember somewhat of the study you're talking about because they were also talking about the premier age of baseball players between 27 and 30 like 27, 28, 29 being the apex of your career where your hand-eye coordination and your physical ability begin to kind of crisscross, where your knowledge of pitches and such continues to rise, but yet your actual physical timing and your ability to react begins to go down. And, and then they were talking about the 94-mile-an-hour threshold. and what It's just so amazing, the studies of what you can and can't do and what the body can and can't do in a minuscule second of time in the game of baseball, which is why we've become, and, and for just those that are sitting there listening to this, you're probably, your eyes are rolling back in your head right now. <laughs> but that's what it is. That's the analytics of baseball. It is. And and these days, when you talk about analytics, it's not these, these weird numbers anymore. Like if it's about player development, what they're measuring is, a, the, you know, the spin rate, the amount of spin on a pitch or the amount of break on a pitch. Let's say you're throwing a breaking ball. Well, they can tell you. This has 9.7 inches of break. They can go that specific. Yeah. And they say, well, all right, that's enough to throw a hitter off. And and what it does, it comes back to the pitcher and says, okay, throw more of these. Mm -hmm. Or don't throw this pitch because you're not fooling hitters. Like, it's, it's more than just the eye test now. Right. There's a scientific element to it. And it, as you say, the Brewers were one of the forerunners of it, and they're one of the better teams in the league at executing it. Yeah, no doubt, which makes Craig Council one of the better managers when it comes to the use of analytics because I have said for years, you talk about a guy that gets the most out of a team that may not have the same amount of talent, same level as many other teams throughout Major League Baseball. And I know fans will get pissed for a move or that move and he pulls pitchers too early and whatever, but he's one of the best manipulators of the analytics to your favor to have that winning record as a small market team in all of baseball. And I don't think he gets enough credit for it. He is the longest tenured manager in the National League now. Is that not crazy? That's bananas. And and there's two reasons. You, you hit on the first one right on the head, which is his ability to use the, the information and the data with him to make this team work in all situations, one through nine, first inning through ninth inning. That's half of it. But he's also a player's manager. And it used to be back in the day, you had somebody who was a player's manager. They liked playing for him, and that was the, the extent of it. But this guy has the smart part 
and the players coach right. part. And that's how he stuck around so yeah, long. Yeah, it's, it's, we were talking about that earlier about the clubhouse sense. And when you talk about a guy like Craig Council, first of all, he's not so far removed from playing that he forgets what it's like. But he's always been a guy that, you know, I, I remember back in the days with Ken Maka. I would sit down with Ken and I would, I would ask him questions because I, he would drive me nuts. <laughs> but when I sat with Ken, I then understood. I didn't agree with it, but I understood where his thinking or his logic was coming from, and there was just a difference of opinion there. With Craig, he not only has an open-door policy, because a lot of guys didn't go into Ken Maka's office. Right. He would send somebody out to talk to you. Where Craig's in the clubhouse. He's sitting on the couch with the guys. You know, and then for those that don't know, in the middle of the clubhouse, there's this big, like, pit of couches where guys can sit around and play cards. They can watch TV. They've got uh, the luxuries of maybe home, a home setting, because they're in that, that setting so much. Craig will come out and sit on the couch with the guys and be BSing with them as opposed to, you know, guys that I've seen in the past, Garner and Lopez, Lopes and, and Ken Maka, and you start to go through that group, and they all sat in the office, or they sat in the back room with the other coaches. They didn't sit with the players. Council still sits with the guys. He's still one of the guys. Doesn't hurt that he looks like he's 31 years old. Yeah, either. right, yeah. Like, that, that still blows my mind. Right. Like how, what's he doing? What, right. What's, I have what's no causing idea. that? Because I, I, wanted, I want some of whatever yeah, that is. I think he just freezes himself in the offseason season. <laughs> Stays, stays young that way or something like that. I, I have no idea what Council's doing because he just he just looks way too freaking good. And, uh, well, then again, he's, he's – but he got by in such like a, a scrapper's talent. You know, yep. I, I was saying this. Somebody asked me the other day, said if you could name some really good managers that were players. I said, you know, Tommy Lasorda was a really good manager but not a great player. Right. Uh, Sparky Anderson, the same, one of the best managers in all of, foot, all of baseball. When you look at Council, he was a scrappy player. And when you talk to him as a player, he kept saying, well, you need to know the situation. You need to use your mind. You need to be able to understand, you know. And I remember doing those interviews with him. And even when he was playing with the Marlins, uh, you know, I'd always get that, quote, hometown interview every now and then. And I'd talk to Craig. And he talked a lot about, you know, understanding the game and the situation and what this guy throws and what this guy does. And, you know, going into that World Series that they end up winning down there for Miami. And I, you, you always thought, well, maybe one day if he ever decides to become a manager or work on a staff, he'll be a guy that, you know, can pass along some of that knowledge. You just never thought that he'd be able to expound upon it to this level. Because a lot of times what happens with players, especially players who have some success at the big league level, is you become ingrained in this thought process. Because mm -hmm. if there's a sport on earth that doesn't like new, it's baseball. Yeah. And so some of those guys come through. Like I, Nothing against the managerial skill of Ken Maka. I thought he was a pretty good manager. But, but Ken Maka was from an old school, and yeah. you knew it. And, and the thing about Council was, he, he understood the game really well, but he also understood the parts of the game that could be broken down and evolved and mm -hmm. changed as new comes in. Because the, the thing, here's the thing, we, you know, we talk about putting baseball as a product that young people will watch. Mm -hmm. I, think it's, I think we phrase it wrong. We want baseball as a sport that young people can play. Right. That's what's happening here. These guys are all in their 20s and early 30s, and some into their mid-30s relatively young in the in the grand scheme of things you want to make the game work for them for their mm -hmm. skill set right. council has taken the game of his era and transformed it to something that works for their era that's that's a huge success we're going to take a quick break we're going to come back and continue the discussion talking to baseball we'll talk about a lot of different stuff brewers game has gotten underway early on and uh 
the Mets are just coming to the plate. So uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that as the game moves on as well. This portion of the program brought to you by our friends at Master Z's on Blue Mountain Road in Brookfield. Call them 262-746-5931. And whether it's outside, which right now everybody's looking at uh, fire pits, they're looking at new patio furniture, Adirondack chairs around the fire pit, uh, outdoor bars and such, uh, everything and anything for your patio, they have it. But indoors, they have pool tables, they have shuffleboards, they have a lot of table games and accessories, anything you need from pool cues to darts. They have it. Check out. And high-quality stuff, too, by the way. I always say this. People come from all over the state just to go to Master Z's on Blue Mountain Road in Brookfield because the showroom is so huge, so many ideas, so many things that they carry. And the best part about it is you can see it today and have it tomorrow. See it today and have it tomorrow. That is Blue Mountain Road in Brookfield. That's our friends at Master Z's. Call them 262 746 5931. More of the Bill Michael Show live here at Stenny's on Brewers Opening Day coming up right after this. Ready? This is the Bill Michael Show on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. 